Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, we're in week two of the series Come Alive. And uh, the title of today's message is Dead Limbs. And who can guess? You get one shiny gold star on your report card if you can guess what miracle of Jesus I'm going to talk about with the title Dead Limbs today. Close. That's almost like answering Jesus in kindergarten. It's so close to the right answer every time. What miracle of Jesus would go with the title Dead Limbs? Dead Limbs coming. Well, we're getting closer. All right. Come on, somebody throw it out there. The paralytic, oh, that's really, really close. It's really, it's really close. There's one wonderfully specific miracle that Jesus did. I guess I have to tell you about it. But it, it doesn't do any favors for me because I was setting this whole thing up for a dad joke. <clears throat> because we're going to talk this morning about Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. And you want to know why? Because it's Palm Sunday. That's horrible. That is terrible. That is a Wade Blundell-style dad joke, is it not? Wade, is that the kind of joke you would tell? Palm Sunday. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, man. Palm Sunday. Of course, it's a withered hand. And of course, if the title is Dead Limbs, yes, technically, you could have been right. The healing of paralytics, for sure. Um, but I, 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 was, was, I was waiting on the Lord, uh, which I often have to do to be able to preach. Of course, those of you who have preached before understand that entirely. Um, I was considering all of the things Jesus did in the three years he had in ministry before he went to the cross, and he did a lot of amazing things. Uh, but I really felt the Holy Spirit drop something into my heart about this, the healing of dead limbs, dead limbs coming to life. And yes, certainly there's more than one occasion, more than one story. In fact, uh, I believe it was John when he wrote his gospel, he said, look, there are many, many more things that Jesus did that we couldn't fit in this book. And so we need to keep that in mind. There's two things in considering the miracles of Jesus. One, not everybody Jesus encountered got healed. Truthfully, I mean, there were were, clearly there were people that were around him in his presence because every week someone else still needed to be healed. Um, But also, he did way more than what they were able to record in the canon of Scripture. And that's always fun and always interesting to me. The buzz around Jesus, though, as he came into Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday was a similar buzz to what we have going on today, I think. And and if you're a church person, just hear me out before you get offended or anything like that. But you see, the people in Jerusalem who gathered as Jesus rode in on a donkey... And even the fact that Jesus chose a donkey to ride in on was, was, see, when a king rides in on a donkey, it's a symbol that he's coming in peace. If he comes in on a horse, it's a symbol of coming for war. And, and so the people all had Jesus wrong back then. They thought that he was riding in on that given day to be the conqueror of Rome. They thought that he was coming for political transformation. They thought he was coming for cultural revolution. They thought that he was going to do something that Jesus actually wasn't at all called or willing to even do. Because Jesus was not coming as a political giant. Jesus was coming for 
something far more valuable, something far more eternal. And here's our problem right now. I see in the church in North America, what, what we've seen through the last two and a half, three years, is people are up in arms because, because the culture is, is failing, and politics are this, and politics are that. Guys, I want to remind you, and we rail on this week after week, I know for months and months on end now, it does not matter what the political climate of a nation looks like. Jesus still comes to seek and save those who are lost. And the church, his body, the extension of who he is, Jesus being the head over the body. We'll talk about that this morning too. We are called to a commission and we are called to a work to then seek and save like Jesus all who are lost. And by the way, the church always does a better job of that when the political climate is not agreeable. So... Should we fight for freedom? Sure, absolutely. Should we vote? Of course you should vote. Should you pray for godly leaders? Of course you should. All of these things Scripture agrees with. But never, ever, ever, ever can you forsake the mission to which you were first called as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, which is to go into the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. This is our call, and this then needs to be our identity. I think today we have churches and we have people in the church, especially again in North America, who are actually looking to Jesus for the wrong thing. We're looking for Jesus to politically save our nation. That's not how it's going to work. A nation's politics are simply a reflection of its people. So if you want our politics to change, bring your neighbor to church. Bring him over for dinner and start sharing Jesus with them. Don't, don't hammer him with a, with a good preach. You don't need to do that. Just start to love him. Start to pray for him and her. Start to reach out to them when their child has cancer, and what they really need is someone who knows Jesus to make an introduction to the goodness of God. This is what our world needs. And this is the resurrection life. This is what needs to come alive in the body of Christ. Because we have the wrong expectation. We are like this man I'm going to talk about who has a withered hand. See, the man with the withered hand, as we'll read about in a few moments, he was sitting at the temple. In other words, he was in church. But he had this disability. I'm going to be a bit of a spoiler here, but guys, let me just say this to you and remember this. Great miracles are just on the other side of our obedience to God. That's where they are. Oh, I'm praying for miracles, Pastor. Right, but are you being obedient? It's not that that the miracle is contingent upon your obedience because God has always desired mercy. He's always desired compassion more than sacrifice. But nonetheless, observably, there is powerful, miraculous, and wonderful things that wait just on the other side of your and my obedience. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Listen, these are the days of harvest for the church. And the, and, and the world has been ready to meet Jesus since he came. How many of you actually know that? It, it, for for 2,000 years now, the world has been ready to meet Jesus. We just seem awfully slow sometimes, I suppose. But listen, people are open to the gospel, and you have good works to do, predestined by God beforehand so that you would walk in them, is what Scripture says. If you're a church attender who is uninvolved, this message is for you. Even if this isn't your church, we're glad you're here. And if you're going to go back to your church, go back to your church to be involved. 
And if you're here and you don't quite belong yet because you don't have this relationship with God that we keep talking about figured out, that's okay. This message is for you too. And if you're sitting in church this morning and, uh, in fact, it's the first time you've sat down all morning because you've been here serving since the doors opened, don't worry. Be encouraged. This message is still for you. We are called to move. We are called to do. We are called to stretch. We are called to reach. God is doing great and amazing things just on the other side of our obedience. So Ephesians 4, 14 and 19, here's what it says, just to frame the conversation a little more. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, my observation talking with many friends in ministry. During COVID and during these last couple of years, a lot of people have changed churches. We've seen a few in our church. But you want to know the interesting thing, the line that I see consistently repeated? People are leaving because they're being blown by teaching. They go on the internet and they listen to so-and-so and who's and who and what's his face. All who are probably great men and even great women of God. But how many of you understand how the wind actually works? I just got to pause here and, and just give you a little teach for a moment. Blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Let me just point out that the scripture doesn't say blown around by bad teaching. Just blown around by teaching. See, because in a church, in this part of the body of Christ, we are called to a certain place, a certain direction for the time that we're in right now. And other churches are called to other things in the time that they're in right now. And so it's perfectly normal and natural that the wind, if you will, that drives Generations Church goes in one direction, while the wind that drives a church down in the United States blows a completely different direction. Because it's the wind Immaturity is revealed when we are blown around by all kinds of teaching. Well, this leader said that. That leader, get your feet planted in the house of God. Trees that are well rooted don't move. Okay, that's enough of that rabbit trail. Now, there's also the cunning and craftiness of people in deceitful scheming, for sure. That's a reality. Um, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, someone say we will grow, to become, someone say become, in every respect, the mature body, say mature body. Let me say it again, the mature body. We will grow to become the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You see in the theme here, growth coming to maturity under the headship of Jesus. Now, this is important. Here, here, here's, the, here's the framing. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If you were like the man with the withered hand, it's not that something's necessarily wrong with the head. Heck, maybe there's nothing wrong with the rest of the body, but for whatever reason, the joints, the ligaments, the supply lines that go through that arm, through that part of the body are shriveled because there are ligaments and there are nerve endings and there are things going on that cause that hand to clench and deform and wither because there's some ligaments not doing their job. 
there's some nerves that aren't functioning in the right role. Maybe there was an injury. I mean, who knows? It could be many things. All of them could be fine when they encounter Jesus. But how can the body of Christ do everything God wants it to do if the hand is withered? For this church to work, every member needs to do their part. For a marriage to work, the wife has to stay home, do dishes, and make babies. (laughs) And be totally silent. Of course, that's ridiculous. Of course not. What has to happen for a marriage to work? She has to do her part. He has to do his part. The kids have to do their part so that the household functions, so that it flows, so that it finds a rhythm. Because when you find a rhythm, things move, things change, stuff gets done. Life is happier. Life is wonderful when you are accomplishing the things that God has put in front of you. If it's true of your household, it's true of your church. If it's true of your marriage, it's true of your church. If it's true of your church, it's true of your marriage and your household. From Jesus the head and the working down through the whole body, we are joined together by supporting ligaments. The leaders, the structures of the church, and the people who then grow and build the body in love allows the church to do even more of what it's called to do. Each person does their work. Now let me talk to you about this man. I'm going to read out of the Gospel of Mark for you today with you today if you're following along. At that time, Mark 12, sorry, Mark, or, sorry, Matthew chapter 12, 1 to 14, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry, and they began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But Jesus said to them, have you not read <clears throat> what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Now pay attention to the word innocent. <clears throat> but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what it means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if you understand the religious slash political speak of that day, this is a, Jesus is taking a serious shot by saying that specifically the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's actually one of the ways that Jesus establishes his deity. Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's not uncommon for religious people to think it's their job to become the critics of their fellows. And it is a problem in the church. Makes me think of in Corinthians where, or sorry, where Paul Paul writes um, about the Last Supper. I received from the Lord. Uh, which I give to you the night which you prayed, Jesus took bread, broke it, and ate it. And we get to the end of that passage, and I don't know how many of you avoid this or how many of you embrace it, but when you eat and drink, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. And I, and I noticed this, uh, some, I don't know, a long time ago, I suppose, but I think about it quite often. Why do many among you sleep? 
It says, because you did not judge the body rightly. You didn't judge the body rightly. Let me just get this in here this morning. Religious critics who attack the body of Christ are simply religious critics. Now, if someone in our church who cleans the toilets comes to me and points out a problem, you know what I'm going to do? I listen. I'm going to listen to that person. You know why? Because they're an effectual doer of the word. They're effectual doers of what they hear. They're actually a member, an active member of the body. Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. He went to their church. And a man was there whose hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In other words, they had paid no attention to what Jesus had just said. They hadn't accepted it. They hadn't listened to it. They hadn't done anything good with it. They were still just ticked off, angry religious people. Critical. And why were they asking, it says in verse 10, so that they could accuse him. And Jesus said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it or lift it out? You know, in another one of the Gospels, Jesus says, Your, your sheep or your son falls into a well. How much more valuable than a, than is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Church, I hope you can get with me on, on this journey today. Because we're about to read the part where my point about great miracles are on the other side of your obedience. It's, it's about to be read to you. But church, you've got to learn to ignore the voices of critics you got to learn to ignore the winds of teaching that blow from all over the place all the time. you got to, you got to learn to, to, get, to get your feet planted, to get committed to a vision, to get with the people of God, to be in unity, not just in loyalty, but to be in unity. Can you see the whole setup here? The religious thinkers, the religious people are trying to make this about what's technically right or wrong on the Sabbath, and Jesus is about to blow them up with a miracle. They're literally trying to find a way to accuse him so they can kill him. That's how angry they are. Can you just imagine for a moment this man? The reason why he was at the synagogue was because that's where people went to beg when they couldn't provide for themselves. And in all likelihood, the man with the withered hand was sitting there because that's where he gathered alms. If he had a family, or even if he just had himself to feed, this was the place as people went in and out of the synagogue where they would make the, the alms, the gift of alms, that's where they would present it for the poor, which had been a tradition dating way back into the law. So let me, let me paint this, let me frame this for you. This man whose only source of income is sitting at the synagogue. What happens if he gets kicked out of the synagogue? Where will his income be? Where will his provision come from? Do you, some of you start to recognize this line of questioning? 
Because maybe you've been there recently, or maybe you've been there in your past. Maybe you're there today, where I, I sense something is about to happen, that God is about to do something, and I am the man with the withered hand. But I know that this group of people that I find myself in, even though I don't necessarily like what they think or like what they say, I don't agree with everything they're doing, I'm really afraid that if I do what Jesus is about to ask me to do, that I will lose my provision. That I'll lose my opportunity to receive a pittance so that I can feed my family and feed myself. See, guys, this is what the, this is what the devil wants you to believe is being leveraged in your life when you are encountering the next great thing that God is doing. You know, we don't have to let you sit here and gather alms. We don't have to let you sit here. We can throw you out of this place. Here's what happens. Jesus sees this man after his lecture, after his, his, his metaphors, after his, after his explanation of why these religious thinkers are wrong in their thinking and wrong in their actions and wrong in the requirements that they're placing on others. Jesus looks at this man and he says to this man, verse 13, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand. And can you just imagine this with me for a moment this morning? That in that one act of obedience, as that man stretched out his withered hand, it was made whole. Jesus didn't go all Benny Hinn on him. He didn't take off his coat, wave it around, and slap him with it. He didn't pray anything profound. He didn't grunt. He didn't groan. He didn't focus his spiritual energy. Read it again. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now you can call that a request. You can call that a command. It actually doesn't matter, I don't think. The point is that the man stretched out his hand and it was restored to normal just like his other hand. And that really ticked the Pharisees off. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy Jesus. Guys, this setup is as old as the book itself. You stand at the edge of the greatness of God. Our church does. Great, we bought land. Now we're going to have to build a building on the land. It's going to take millions of dollars. It's going to take many miracles. We stand on that precipice, and the enemy's voice starts calling, don't, don't do it. Don't risk what you have. Don't take the risk, because if you, if you do this, they, whoever they is, they aren't going to let you sit here and collect your pittance anymore. And I don't Maybe some of you can't even see yourselves that way this morning, but by the Spirit of God, hear the word of the Lord this morning. That there is a place in your heart, there is at least one place in your heart, man or woman of God, where God is calling you out into the deep places, to the miraculous places, and you are like the man with the withered hand, uncertain. I can't even imagine how fearful of a moment this could have been for this man. Because he was risking everything he knew to do what Jesus said. 
Now, for the sake of keeping it simple, was there anything complicated about what Jesus asked? No, not at all. Stretch out your hand. I think most of us could follow that order. But even his body, his mind must have said to him, you can't do that. You can't stretch out your hand. Look look at your hand. It's withered. Can you imagine the eternal dialogue? I know that some of you can because you have this internal dialogue. When you stand on the edge of what God is doing next. You can't. You can't stretch out your hand. Your hand is withered, dummy. That's how my voice sounds sometimes. I wish I could have been there. Because I really want to understand the battle that was going on. But in an act of obedience, he's healed. Jesus didn't have to spit in the dirt and make mud. Jesus didn't have to do anything fancy. See, miracles are on the other side of our obedience to Jesus. Stretch out your hand might be the order you need to follow. Go to YWAM might be the order you have to follow. Take somebody out for lunch after church might be the order you have to follow. Oh, but God, I don't want to spend my money on that. Miracles are just on the other side of your obedience to Jesus. They're here. That sickness in your body, don't don't even admit. all, All of the things the enemy wants to say to you need to become silence. They need to become silenced in his presence. And you need to be willing to stretch out your hand. You need to be willing to be obedient. You need to be willing to do the thing. You need to be willing to risk. Because what you're risking is a pittance, not a king's reward. See, if you would just offer out to Jesus that part of you that's broken, that part of you that's dysfunctional, that part of you that needs help, that part of you that's wounded, the part of you that is hurt, what could Jesus do if in obedience you offered what he asked for? What could come alive in you? What could come alive in you? Because the church needs its arms working. I mean, I can preach this message because I want the best things for you, but it's even more than that. I preach a message like this because I want the best things for the church. And not just Generations Church, but for our city. For every church in our city to be filled with people willing to stretch out their hand for no other reason than that Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Why? So that every joint and every ligament can supply and so that the body can be built up in love. Worship team, you can come back. This is officially the shortest preach of 2022. <laughs> wow, that's, I, wow, I don't know how to feel about that applause, actually. <laughs> awkward, wow. <laughs> oh, it's awkward. Uh, thanks, Quentin. That's why you get 10 gold stars today. In your, in your report card. See, guys, in the context of the local church, how often are we missing what God's calling us to do? And I, and I know that I know that it's cheesy to attach this to Palm Sunday. 
But if you can just find the scarlet thread that we're weaving through this thing, we're really still in the same place so many times. Because we want Jesus to show up just like he rode into Jerusalem, but we're asking him to show up on terms that aren't his. We're asking him to show up to do things that the Father didn't have him do. Jesus, just come back and take us all to heaven. No. There are people that I care about that don't know Jesus yet, and it's not time. We're not ready for that. Just stretch out your hand. The book of Revelation reminds us, I think Revelation chapter 3, somewhere in there. Therefore, strengthen those things that were about to die. Strengthen it. Strengthen your faith this morning. Strengthen your will this morning. Strengthen your heart this morning. Strengthen your mind. Realign yourself with the will of God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this moment today, church, to bring you to that place, to that moment, to that word that says, hey, child of God, this is what I need you to do now. So many people seem to be afraid of that step because they're afraid, they think that God is going to ask them to do the impossible when really all God wants to do is say, hey, will you stretch out your hand? so I can heal you? Will you stretch out your hands so that it can be restored, so that you can become strength for others? Will you stretch out your hand so that I can take that withered reality in your life and make it a blessing rather than a curse in your life? This applies to your spiritual well-being, to your wealth, to your marriage, to your family, to where your children are to all the areas that you think, man, I'm failing, I'm falling short of God's standard. Welcome to reality. We're all falling short of His standard. We, each one of us, are at some point now in the past and probably in our future, we are the man with the withered hand. Don't trade the miracles of God in your life for the pittance of a beggar. Don't do it. His provision is so much bigger on the other side of obedience. His goodwill for your life is so much more explosively powerful than you can ever imagine. So we come to this place every Sunday here at this church. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. But before we do, here's the question. And I urge you, every time you hear a preach... I urge you, even if you don't like the preach, say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to take away from this today? Holy Spirit, is there anything you're saying to me today that I need to be aware of, to pay attention to? Whatever your language, however you want to form that question, I'm fine with. But you've got to ask the question of God. Lord, what is it today in my life What is it today in my life that can move so that you can have your way? So that you can build up the body, so that you can be Lord over all, so that you can be my conquering king, not for your purposes, God, or not for my purposes, God, but for yours. 
If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today can be your day. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Guys, there is no other way to heaven than through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all. He was the one person who could make it work for us to be made right with God. There is no other way. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. So I want to invite you this morning, if you don't have that relationship, all you need to do is bend your will to Jesus, turn from your sin, receive what he's done for you at the cross, and then walk in the newness of his life. And if this is your first time in church, that sounds impossible. But it's not, and we'd love to talk with you about it. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you have a catastrophe in your life. Listen, we're going to open up the front of this church in just a moment now offer you the opportunity to come and receive prayer this morning. And let me tell you something, friend. There is no way that you should have to leave church the same way that you walked into church. Because the presence and the power of God are here. He is real. He is among us. And He wants to do great and amazing things in your life and my life. So we're going to sing this one last song. And I challenge you this morning. Ask Him the question. Holy Spirit, What's my takeaway? What do I need to do? Ask him the question and then do what he says. Because miracles are just on the other side of your obedience to Jesus. So let's stand. I'm going to sing this last song. You reflect. Come forward if you need prayer. Come forward if you need Jesus in your life today. Come forward if you need prayer for something that's going on. Let's sing this song. Let's worship one more time together. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that if we ask this question, you would embolden every heart in this room and every person watching online. Lord, so that we can step in obedience and in time with what you're asking us to do. Because God, we want to believe that there are in fact great miracles just on the other side of our obedience. And so Holy Spirit, I pray today that you'd help each one of us to choose to place our faith in that reality. Father, help us to walk in obedience in the moments of this week, but even in the moments now. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.